Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 170 for Monday, December 6th, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always is Johnny, or as you may know him better, Pixel Riffs, season two. <laughs> Hello, season two of Pixel Riffs starts now uh, with this very episode. Um, but yes, welcome, welcome in. And uh, once again, thank you to our Patreon supporters for everything that you've done for us. This is, of course, the first episode of a new month. And so we always like to thank our patrons for their support as it refreshes for the month of December. Uh, if you're interested in joining us at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks, you'll get access to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast in which this morning we've been talking about uh, Joel's Echo Dot and whether or not it's going to play some Christmas music around the apartment and me getting into a little bit of Survival Guide Season 2, as the name suggests. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to start by talking a little bit about that. I'll, I'll hand over to you first, Joel. What have you been doing on the Citadel this week? So the Citadel is still in 117.1. We'll get into the details about that later in the show. Uh, but I have been uh, continuing with the uh, interior designs, the insides of the buildings along the main gate road in West Hill. Needed some love, including a few that have had uh, empty insides for months and months and months and months. The the shells were designed, but I just never got to designing the inside for whatever reason. I probably got distracted by something else more fun, like a bridge or a castle or something. And uh, we took the time to do all of that. And I found a groove and it was taking me about an hour to get inside of one of the uh, houses and completely go from nothing but a floor to ceiling to a finished hearth, a finished uh, set of rafters, uh, beds, tables, that kind of stuff. Now, I am working with the, the Chuck Chuck Tables and Chairs data pack, which makes things a lot easier because you can connect tables to have them be a four by a two by two table, a one by two table. Uh, I've got a couple different colors of chairs and styles of chairs. And so that was really fun. And trying to figure out what these um, little houses could be. Usually they're one room houses, like the bed is in the same room as the kitchen, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but every once in a while I came to a building that had a different function or or could have a different function. Like there's one building that actually has a set of stairs that goes up to the next level of the town. And I thought this is going to be weird to have it be like someone's home. So I turned it into kind of like, what would have been maybe like an office for someone maybe keeping track of people coming and going from the town. And so that way, the fact that it was a, a through fair wasn't a big deal. Um, and I had a desk in the corner. I put some bookshelves in it. So like it looks a little bit fancier, you know, it has a bigger meeting table yeah, than sure. the other houses. Like, like, a, like so a, a merchant might be taking, you know, notes on traffic in and out of the town. It sure. could be like scribes yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like it makes a lot of sense for a society Registrar like something, you know, yeah. like whatever is going on. I don't, I don't have as much detail worked out in terms of like when in history this is supposed to be. It's medieval fantasy. So I'm kind of like making it up as I go along. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to do all that kind of stuff. I experimenting with some of the uh, the um, smaller um, mini block, the heads, the data pack that we have from um, Vanilla Tweaks. Uh, found that beehives are very cool. They look like little boxes for things. Yeah. Uh, we I made a cobbler and used a mini chest. It looks like a little tool chest. Uh, was able to use the armor stand data packs to put boots, uh, Minecraft leather boots of various colors on the ground and on the table. And that was really fun. Um, just little things like that that has just been fun to explore. Um, trying to broaden my texture horizons too, you know, using beehives in the floors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last little bit was just going outside and then looking at these buildings that are now done. And rather than walking away and never coming back, taking the time to say, okay, well, what could we do out front to make this look less boring and a little bit more 
um, as part of the town. So, you know, bushes, vines going up the side of things. I tried adding flowers, but it was a little bit too bright and colorful for the, it's not like it's a dreary town, but things are pretty gray and brown. And um, flower boxes just felt a little bit excessive for this area. But I found that the flowering azalea and the azalea bushes are just enough. Like they're they're bright. They have a little bit of color, but they don't feel like flowers. Yeah. You know, they mm -hmm. don't feel like I have a flower garden. They feel like I have a bush, you know, that happens to flower, which is, I think, a little bit more appropriate. And I forgive me, but somebody in my chat suggested that um, in an area where I was struggling to try to figure out some different textures... Uh, because the wall was only one block thick and the building was at an angle, uh, we had to, st we just basically had to stick with whatever the texture was. We couldn't change it. And they said, you know, what you could do there is put in a couple of trap doors that lead to the outside because on the inside, it's right next to your hearth. And a lot of older homes like this would have a trap door that you could then load firewood in from the outside without having to trape it all through the house. I oh, thought, that's a great idea. Yeah. So I included, I included a screenshot from the outside uh, and I think it got cut off on the inside screenshot, but basically I thought, well, that's cool. That means I can put a pile of firewood, which is like a couple of unlit campfires, a mini block and a couple of full-size logs piled outside this home, right outside this trap door. That's obviously not a door and obviously not a window. And it worked really great. And I'd never even thought about it. So stuff like that, I think was the fun little explorative touches over the weekend and uh, somebody else commented they said i've been listening to the spawn chunks and i hear you say how often uh that it takes you a long time to do this kind of stuff and now i know why <laughs> <laughs> yeah thought, yeah it's one part being picky and it's another part just not rushing the process you know and and realizing that i really only get to play minecraft a couple hours on the weekend like you know six you know a couple streams and i don't play outside of that and everyone sees the creative process from start to finish. When I walk into these houses that have empty rooms, I've got no plan. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of like, I'm figuring it out live as I go. And I like sharing that process, but it, it does take a while sometimes. Yeah, it sure does. And honestly, like from my perspective right now, I'm looking at a project of this scale and drooling because I've just started a new world and nice. I'm, I'm doing this for a tutorial series. And oh boy, it's going to take a while until I get to the point where I can build an entire town. And the change yeah. of pace is the weirdest part of it for me. Like, obviously, I've started a new world for 1.18, but I'm having to go back to playing Minecraft slowly. And I'm looking around at everybody who's made these phenomenal-looking starter houses in a mountain range that they probably picked out from scouting out their world seed. And here's me with a random world and a hole in the wall, <laughs> which is effectively what I have at this point in the series. But... Um, uh, I think hum <laughs> humble classic. beginnings like yeah no th this this is absolutely like we're going to hopefully share some of these screenshots in the show notes for the show but uh, compare what Joel has been doing to what I have been doing and you'll understand um but yeah the uh, the survival guide world kicked off pretty well and uh, on the other side of things, I have been scratching the itch to do a little bit more kind of, of my own thing rather than meet it out into a series of smaller tutorials by playing on a hardcore multiplayer server throughout the month of December because Don't Die December is back. Uh, we did that last year. We also did another uh, sort of mid-year project in kind of June or May, I think. Um, and so we've got a, a hardcore server full of 32 other people some of whom have already died um and it being a hardcore server we all only have one life um and having ditched my hardcore single player series i'm finding hardcore multiplayer a lot more fun uh, mostly because it's only for a month as well so i know that at the end of that 
you know, if I've died before that, I'm not going to be losing out on a ton of stuff that I could have done. Um, but in the case of it being a, a living world and people hopping on and off and building up stuff around me, uh, it, it's super fun to see that kind of community grow quickly. And people have been making a lot of progress because they know there's not much time left until it all goes away again. In my case, though, I have challenged one of the other folks on the server another streamer called bruno danoy um he and i have been racing to find the other side music disc and i managed to get mine in a completely random dungeon the other day having searched i think between us we must have searched about 10 strongholds uh and i'd, wow. I'd done four or five of those myself and then i went to go and get geared up with diamond stuff because i figured i may as well at least get protected from all of the stuff that's out there people were already dying to creepers that were just dropping on them from ravines and stuff so i thought may as well go go caving get geared up and return to the surface and keep looking for a bit of a change and then the first dungeon i walked into the disc was right there <laughs> so so um, wow. i'm going to start a record store on that server now um it's going to be a lot of fun but uh yeah with with that goal accomplished i feel like i'm definitely scratching the itch for some more advanced minecraft gameplay and skipping through several steps of the early game without missing out on too much stuff in the survival guide that's going to be difficult too, you know, like coming from a couple of long-term worlds. Uh, I mean, and to, for folks wondering at home, it's four years on the Citadel versus four days on season two yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> of the survival guide uh, in terms of the difference of, of, you know, available stuff in the game in terms of progress. But I would imagine that would be difficult, even with your other hardcore world being farther along, like quite a bit farther along than, than where you are with the new one. Yeah. I, with challenges with other players like that, do you find that there's, that's part of the temptation and part of the folly is to get into a race before you're ready with hardcore especially with 118 because it's not friendly if you go too far afield without being ready yeah and i i kind of got that vibe from on empires as well just like trying to keep pace with everybody wasn't always going to be my speed and so hmm. i i've focused on a task that i can do at a very specific pace which is like you know you're, you're looking for strongholds you're gathering the equipment to do that you don't need to worry too much about gathering too many resources as you go because you're effectively living more nomadically and that was fine for me for for a good while and it wasn't something that everybody on the server was doing it was just me and one other guy really so it, it wasn't the kind of thing where i felt like i had to keep pace with a bunch of other people and outperform or, or like match the energy that somebody else was bringing i'm just gonna you know run around and do my own thing and now stepping back a little bit with the survival guide and doing things a lot more gradually explaining things as i go has kind of reset me a little bit and I, f I feel like a lot of the inspiration can come from taking that stuff steadily and not rushing into you know building an entire town's worth of houses in your first week playing because that's a recipe for burnout in my experience Oh, for sure. With Survival Guide Season 2, are you, um, what's the plan right now? I mean, not to divulge too much, but like, what is it? Is it like start up some basic farming? Like, are you going like right from scratch and doing like a, this is your first day in Minecraft? Or are you kind of assuming a few things of, of people that might have watched Season 1? Yeah, the, the first, uh, the first raft of videos, the first like five videos this week goes from basically your first surviving your first night hole in the wall kind of set up and here's how to cook things here's how to craft stone tools uh there's a little bit of caving there's a bit of farming of both crops and animals and then the end of the week we're going to build a proper house and i think nice. that's more or less where things went with the first season of survival guide 
I recognize that I now have a larger audience than I did before. Not to put too fine a point on it, there are a bunch more people watching me than there were initially, and so I'm trying to strike a balance between people who know a lot about Minecraft and are finding my videos just to have something entertaining, but hoping to learn a little bit along the way, and then people who've never played Minecraft before and are in it for the actual tutorial aspect. So we'll we'll see where the balance falls, but yeah, right now I'm I'm open to feedback on that, and I'm getting a bit of feedback from my early comments just about how things can be structured and it's always really really helpful to to hear that from people and i mean players with a lot of experience can always use a review people do different things differently uh i had to refresh my mind on how to make a book and quill <laughs> the other day like i had to go look up the recipe before i went searching for the actual ingredients so like you know people that have been playing the game for a while if it's been a long time since you've done early game sometimes especially with new versions of minecraft out the approach changes a bit too so that'll that'll be fun to explore i mean i'm I'm going to be watching because i'm sure there's gonna be tips and tricks that i just i don't know you know <laughs> that 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 have come up um i'm i don't think i'm going to do anything different on my own i don't think i'm going to be doing a single player world i it, i usually just kind of stick with the citadel but uh thoughts uh spurred on by other games that have like christmas events of doing something on the server, like, you know, a Christmas village or something to those lines would be kind of fun. And if it was something that meant that would be like starting over or, you know, either on a new system, new server, new world, something that could like having those um, early game experiences refreshed in my brain would be very useful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I find that there's a lot of people on different skill levels who are coming to this series and going, oh, this is going to be cool. Like, I'll, I'll get to pick up the stuff that I don't quite know or need a refresher on. And there's a couple of people who said, I didn't really play in the Nether update very much. So when you get to the Nether and there's all of the new biomes and everything, that's going to be cool for me. And I think back to starting the original survival guide in update 1.13, new Nether biomes wouldn't come along until three versions later. So like this is going to be the first time that I will have had one of these worlds where I have to step into the nether and figure out, okay, there are five possible biomes I could show up in. What's the approach for each one of those? And break it down a little bit more easily for people who are newer to the game. So that's the stuff I'm looking forward to. Once we start really rolling ahead with progress and exploring the world and finding where everything is, I think there's there's so much depth to the game that I'm I'm looking forward to exploring once again. Well, speaking of the new depth in the game, we can get in, into the news. Minecraft Java Edition 1.18, the Caves and Cliffs update part two is here. And there is going to be a link to the Minecraft.net article in the show notes, along with a link to the part two trailer. Uh, poor Steve. <laughs> uh, and the Caves and Cliffs part two article about the features of the game uh, that have been included in the show notes with uh, handy graphics for um, supporting uh, explanations and stuff like that. So rather than reading all of that here on the show, we're going to be talking about it later on in terms of just the general updates. Uh, you'll have links to all those in our show notes. However, uh, Minecraft 118.1 pre-release one was put out, I believe it was on Friday. To quote that post, we are now releasing the first pre-release to Minecraft 118.1. This will be a fairly small release that will fix a few stability issues and a few bugs. We aim to release this version at the end of next week. Happy mining. Technical changes in 118.1 pre-1 fixed an issue that would cause players on low bandwidth connections to get timeout errors when connecting to a server. World fog starts farther away from the player to make distant terrain more visible. And instead of applying fog as a spherical volume, it is now applied in a cylindrical volume. 
Bug fixes of note include that beacon's power reverts back to previous one when re the world is reloaded. Observer activating without any updates nearby, causing um, caused by a clone, sorry. And chunk render distance on server seems shorter than in 117.1. So not a lot of big changes uh, in, in the pre-1 release, uh, just a few kind of tweaks. Uh, thing that struck me was the fog changes. Uh, I have not experienced 118 yet, but those fog changes make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I've mostly been playing on, you know, th this hardcore server is one example where we've got a limited render distance of, I think, about 10 chunks. So I was assuming the fog was going to roll in a little bit anyway. And in my single player world, I play on 16 chunk render distance. I don't tend to worry too much about the fog and I like the atmosphere it provides. But it's good to know that they're considering this stuff, and it does seem like on Realms especially, there has been a lot more distance fog than people were expecting. Um, so, so it's good that they're considering that. The one thing that I find about this is in Amplified Worlds, especially when you're higher up in the world, it almost felt like a good thing that you weren't able to see the ground. You know, like the, the atmosphere of being that high up and looking down and not seeing where the actual sea level was... Uh, was always really interesting to me. And so I don't know if that's going to feel too different with obviously distance fog also being a thing. So you can still see the, the ground further away from you disappears. But the cylindrical shape of the fog means you will be able to see from the top of a chunk to the bottom. Um, so, so we'll see how that affects things. I haven't had a chance to dip into this pre-release and actually mess around with it because I've been too busy in the main update. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how people feel about that once they've had a chance to play around. So as someone that has built some large structures in other worlds, like my Snake Mountain build in my first playthrough, uh, getting some frustrations with that on a computer that also didn't have a, a larger render distance as I have now, but just trying to figure out the best way to have that experience where the whole thing would render in at once uh, was difficult. And I would imagine anybody that's going to be taking advantage of the new world height and building something, I, you know, Lord of the Rings comes to mind with the Minecraft Middle Earth and like the Tower of Warthank or something, mm -hmm. uh, have all that work put into it, uh, and then not be able to see the top of it when you're standing at the base, yeah. uh, would be, would be too bad. Uh, especially if you've got other things in the game that you could put in there, like clouds that would pass by it, but not completely obstruct the top of it. That kind of stuff I think would be, be pretty cool. Not to mention, I, I I hear you on like the fog and the mystery of like looking down in a, in a shattered savannah or something and not being able to see the bottom for the fog. It's kind of adding that like gorillas in the mist kind of feel to it. But at the same time, being up on something that high and maybe looking down into something like a, a cheese cave opening or a, 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 a fissure or something like that, where you could see even a hundred blocks or more into the earth would be also kind of cool. Like it, I, I know that there'd be that lack of atmosphere, but at the same time, it's just like to see that far, to see farther vertically in Minecraft than you can horizontally is an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jumbo Sale in our live chat is actually posting a, a bit of a correction here. Uh, according to some videos on the subject, there are a, the, there's a base to the cylinder. So it's still a cylinder that has a fixed volume instead of just being the full height of the world. So the fog can ah. still be applied to the bottom of the cylinder. And if you're high enough up, you still can't see too far down. So maybe that oh, fixes okay. some of the issues that I am imagining having. Once again, this is unfortunately my inexperience with not having jumped into the pre-release this week. So yeah, hopefully that's that's all still working like that because I think atmosphere like that is so important in a way that it'd be a shame to 
miss out on that. And it's why I've always resisted mods like Optifine being able to disable the fog, especially in the nether where people do that for the sake of their own visibility. I just kind of find that it ruins the mood a lot of the time, even though it's also fairly spectacular to be able to see the entire nether cavern. It kind of, yeah, takes the atmosphere away a little bit for me. So I don't disable it, but I put it at a farther distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I generally want the fog to be farther away. It feels to me a little bit more natural to have the fog be at a chunk, like distance of like 12 or 16 as opposed to eight or yeah. something like yeah. that. Uh -huh. uh, but I know that depending on the shaders that I've used for different screenshots, the fog will be applied in different ways. And sometimes the fog in a shader is, is kind of replaced with atmospheric perspective. So it doesn't necessarily block uh, the view, but it does kind of uh, add that kind of atmosphere haze um, between you and what you're seeing. And that kind of depth of field, I mean, as an artist, like that kind of stuff is, is really cool. So, I mean, like disabling it completely would be, I think, at a loss too, because sometimes you're going to want to have, it's going to add depth and it's going to make your worlds look like, like they're not a tabletop model. Yeah. You know, they're going to, it's going to look like it's a much larger atmosphere that with, with fog. Speaking of things being a tabletop model, as a quick diversion from the news here, on the Minecraft Reddit this week I saw a post by somebody who had used, I don't know what, there was a, a mod involved that I forget the name of, but they posted a picture where they had been able to render the entirety of a Minecraft world. <laughs> they are, they're at a height of like Y2 million or something like that, and they have a three like a, a 30 million block render distance and I, I i'm not entirely certain what technology they've used for this but it's absolutely bizarre looking because what you're looking down at is a series of progressively you know rendered continents and you're looking down on you know oceans that are the size of a pixel and it just looks like tv static or something which is uh, <laughs> pretty intense when you look at it but uh yeah we always say the world outside is infinite but looking at that kind of gave me literally a fresh perspective on how this entire thing looks i wonder what something like that would look like but a bit closer where you could actually make out like the biomes so like as as high up as you can go without completely losing any sense of what's actually down there yeah, that, that'd be wild looking, I'm sure. And I will make sure that we can get a link to that exact post so we can give credit for it in the show notes because, yeah, it's it's a, a very, very weird way of looking at Minecraft. Let's move on to the emails this week because we've got a few. Obviously, the main topic of discussion is going to be 1.18 and that goes for us as well as everybody else in the community. So some of this is going to feed into the discussion points that we had planned already. But the first email comes in from Rock Giant with the subject of where to go and what to do. Hey there, Johnny and Joel. Jumping into 1.18 terrain, I found myself with two competing struggles. One, trying to find a place to stop and build, and two, finding inspiration for what I wanted to build when I did settle. After brainstorming for a while, I came up with a solution that I thought was worth sharing. I loaded up Chunk Base and started searching through random seeds until I found one with a really cool Badlands biome about 13,000 blocks from spawn. After checking it out in a creative world, I have begun the slow journey in survival, making my way to this promised land of sorts. This solved both my problems, by giving me a chance to actually travel through all the new terrain, without leaving me wondering if I will ever find a cool place to land. To further increase the nomad approach, I've installed a couple of data packs for bundles to help me collect more things along the way. 
Hope this helps some people struggling to jump into 1.18 like I did at first. Thanks for all the great stuff you guys do. Rock Giant fell into a cave while trying to scale a cliff. <laughs> I have seen a lot of people put, putting like Twitter polls out there being like, okay folks, cave or cliff? And I'm like, why? Is it too much to ask for both? <laughs> <laughs> as in like first death or just like which do you prefer i mean both i i imagine yeah like i i yeah. can i can see cave being a lot of people's though like i've i've saved myself from a couple of really nasty looking falls into dripstone caves yeah i would imagine for me it would be it would be like the creeper bomb in a mm -hmm. cave more than likely what would what get me because i i suffer from that thing of if I do start a new world, like when I was playing around with the snapshot, I'm running around with the confidence of a four-year-old world that I've lit up, you know, all over uh, and have all the gear. So if something goes off next to me, even if I die, whatever, my bed is 20 feet away and mm -hmm. I, all my stuff is fine. But in a brand new world, you forget that very easy sometimes when your regular play is on a four-year-old server. Um, I think that this is a really good point uh, about using... Tools like Chunkbase, uh, Amidst is another one that you can download and, and update your world, or not update, uh, upload your world into and take a look at it from the top down um, and see what the biomes are. Uh, I think it's Chunkbase, but there are some other tools that will let you search for stuff as well. You can search for biomes, you can highlight biomes. Uh, we did this on the Citadel because at the time we started it uh, in 2017, everybody was a busy adult and we didn't want to waste a lot of time wandering around looking for specific biomes that we wanted to build in or specific blocks we wanted to use uh not knowing whether we would even find them or how far we'd have to go and uh so what i did was i just explored a few chunks uh, i tried or not a few chunks a few seeds i tried to punch in a few things a few different seeds to see what come up ended up using one that was um, a fun little code that ended up working out for us and it just basically gave us a bunch of the more uh, not say difficult biomes to find, but like all the stuff we needed was relatively close and it required some effort, but not a lot. And that really worked out well for us. And I think sometimes uh, players can forget that you don't just have to go with random seed and walk around in Minecraft until you find something. It's one way to play and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you're, if you've done that before, uh, if this isn't your first rodeo, or if you just, you really want a specific game experience, like you're looking for that Badlands, that rock giant was looking for, then using tools like Chunkbase or, or Amidst to find that kind of stuff is a great way to save yourself some time. You're going to have a better player experience. And Chunk, uh, rock giant has a great balance. I found the Badlands. It looks like I want, but it's 13,000 blocks away from spawn. I'm still going to start at spawn mm -hmm. and I'm going to play my way in survival out there. So it's getting kind of like the best of both worlds. You're putting in the time, you're putting in, I don't want to say the grind, but you're putting in the the effort to get the reward. The difference is that you have a pretty good idea what the reward is, or at the very least where it is. Yeah. I don't know if they've explored below the surface. They don't know what they're going to find there. But the fact that there is a really cool Badlands there to build in, I think is a great way to like be inspired, be driven, you know, have that motivation to get there. Um, and the other thing that you can use these tools for, if you are, are someone that likes farms and redstone and stuff like that, you can use them to find slime chunks. You can use them to find witch huts. Um, I have particularly been looking for a couple of ocean monuments that are very close together within loading distance of one another, which I think would be very, very fun. I don't know if the mechanics are going to work out in my favor, but I just think it would look cool if nothing else to have a double guardian farm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
you know, like that's, that's the kind of stuff that these kind of things, I will absolutely not hesitate to use these tools to find that because flying around looking for two ocean monuments that are close enough together, forget it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not going to take that time. Yeah. Individual biomes is one thing, but when you're looking for almost like a coincidence of Minecraft generation, it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot, it's a lot harder. It's like needle in a haystack kind of situation. Um, yeah, like I, I totally like this idea like i think nomadic lifestyles are super fun in 1.18 especially having played that way on this hardcore server for a little while i think the terrain feeling so fresh and new gives you an opportunity to explore but it's good to know where you're going in this case good to have an objective in mind and yeah really while obviously i'll preach the random seed example for the sake of stuff like survival guide where most of the people i'm talking to as newer players are not going to have a seed in mind when they start Minecraft to begin with. I I totally like the set seed idea because then you know a little bit more about what's around you and you're making it convenient for yourself to get to the parts of the game that you enjoy. So yeah, totally agree with that and uh, definitely something worth considering for anybody who's a little more experienced and knows what they want out of the game. Next email comes in from ReasonFlyer52, starting afresh in Minecraft 118. Hi, Joel and Johnny. I have seen many Minecrafters like Waddles mention that it was recommended to start a new world when I updated to Minecraft uh, 118. However, I have a very strong feeling not to start a new world and uh, new cave biomes can generate under existing chunks. And I have defeated the Ender Dragon and gotten my long-awaited Elytra in my current world. It was also one of the very few worlds that had eroded badlands biomes really close to spawn seeing a preference for the eroded badlands these days uh, i really didn't want all of these efforts to go to waste as i started a new world in 118 what do you think is it better to start new in 118 will my existing chunks mess up with new terrain generation in minecraft 118 hope to hear your thoughts and opinions reasoned flyer 52 walked into the danger zone and died due to a screaming goat <laughs> these death messages i swear um yeah like i honestly think if you wanna if you wanna keep your current world there is nothing wrong with backing up your world and just trying it first like m much like the set seed thing like there's there's no wrong way to play here and nobody's gonna call you out on it you know if, if you want to back up your world and then load it in 118 and if you don't like what you see you can just choose to start a brand new world at that point or you can choose to keep playing explore a little bit more and then update to 1.18 when you know where the boundaries of your world are going to be or where for example if you really like all of the eroded badlands near your spawn make sure you've loaded all of those in and make sure that they've got a bit of a boundary around them so that the new terrain doesn't feel as jarring generating right next to the stuff you really like. Um, I think part of the fun of 1.18 Worlds is going to be how it changes exploration on foot. So considering you've just got your new Elytra, going straight into the 1.18 experience might be skipping what I feel like is kind of a key part of the experience of trying to navigate some of this stuff. But if you've been waiting to get hold of the Elytra for so long and you're looking forward to flying around for the first time, then sure, why not? I say give it a go. So I'll expand a little bit more on my thoughts in the main discussion, but not to make light of beating the Ender Dragon and getting your Elytra, but if that's the only thing you know, aside from these badlands that are um, holding you back from starting a new world, I think you probably would be better off starting off uh, a new world in 118. Uh, this coming from me as someone that has invested four years into a server with no desire to reset 
And it has less to do with starting over from a Minecraft um, progression standpoint and more to just like, I don't want to lose all the builds that we've done, you know, nor do anyone else, on, you know, on the server. And and so that to me is a, it's not a discussion. Like we just are not resetting. We're going to move forward with 118. And that's why I'm putting in the effort ahead of time uh, to do the, the, the technical testing uh, that Johnny suggested, which I did, you know, I downloaded a backup of the Citadel. I've got several backups locally. And so I'm going through those and seeing what works for the best. Um, short answer is that the new chunks are probably going to mess around with your current world. So as Johnny suggested, I would definitely give yourself a border. But again, in the grand scheme of worlds out there, you're not that far along unless you've invested a lot of time into builds currently, which you didn't mention in the email. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but I would say like, if it's not too harsh of a bandaid to rip off, I would say, uh, maybe in, as per the last email, use chunk base or amidst find another seed that has a biome that you want close to spawn. That's similar to the badlands that you have and just start fresh. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's worth either approach and yeah, you're right. It, it depends entirely on how quickly you beat the ender dragon after starting this world. You know, if it was a, a world you started in 1.17 and you've only just beaten the dragon, then fair enough. But if it was a world you started way back in a previous update and you right. just spent more time in the overworld doing stuff before you decided to go and tackle the dragon, then it's, it's a different proposition. So use your best judgment. There are no wrong answers, but make sure you make a backup before you do anything major in terms of upgrading. The uh, last email here is going to lead us into our main discussion. This comes in from Ace2000 and the subject is getting overwhelmed by 1.18. Hi Johnny and Joel, hope you're both doing well and enjoying the Caves and Cliffs update part 2. More on that in a second. Uh, like most players, I made a new world in 1.18 and I'm a casual player who prefers making player scale builds and I've been feeling a bit overwhelmed due to the massive size of the terrain now. What are your thoughts about it? Do you feel the same? Thanks for a wonderful podcast. Ace 2000 fell on Dripstone because glow vines are not good for swinging. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> we have yet to have like that kind of swinging grappling hook style mechanic in Minecraft. So yeah, best to uh, keep your wits about you and, and do some, some vertical climbing. Uh, so which of these do you want to tackle first? Because I feel like the first email was more kind of related to your experience of upgrading the Citadel. And the second email is much more about my experience of working with the new terrain and everything. So which would you so like to tackle first? I think it, my discussion will be shorter to, to bring what I've been dealing with to the table. Uh, so I think one of the things that I read, which kind of tweaked my eyebrow a little bit in the features um, article that we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, quote, world blending it will allow for new world generation to work seamlessly with existing chunks in old worlds, resulting in fewer hard edges and more natural looking environments. They've kind of gone both ways with that. Seamlessly, that's not the case. But fewer, it's not none right like they've, yeah. they've kind of worded it in a way like there are going to be exceptions to the rule but the general consensus is that this will be a better experience than than not most of the time um for me downloading the citadel and updating it and seeing what the terrain was going to look like um terrain generation seems to be okay or rather as expected and that includes some pretty harsh transitions from flat to steep terrain. Uh, it goes up quickly, but it still goes up smoothly. I'm not noticing any skyscraper chunks, nothing like that. Uh, the only thing that have been sort of like really strange is uh, as I was looking around, most of my testing was around the um, medieval zone area in, in the Citadel, just because that's where I'm playing right now. And I know the terrain yeah. best. Mm -hmm. And 
some of the cave entrances have been massive holes in the world that feel odd. And unfortunately, there was none of those cool, like kind of like Mario-esque pillars in the middle. They were just these giant chasms, one of which was almost so perfectly round, it looked like a bowling ball the size (laughs) of a moon had been dropped on on, onto the surface. Yeah. And so they're neat looking, but sometimes they look a little bit contrived and it feels very harsh when just a couple chunks away is the old beach or the old, you know, desert. And the next thing you know, you're in like these desert caves that look like they can't even support the sand on top of them. So there's a little bit of stuff like that. Now that's just RNG. That's just kind of like, well, that's the new terrain that happens to be what it, what it is. Um, the frustrating for me, uh, like the bit that's been frustrating for me has been the biomes. And biome generation being completely separate for a, a new world um from the terrain generation is probably excellent for new worlds but i don't feel that there's been enough work done to smooth out those transitions for existing worlds and i tested all over the server i only have one example as a screenshot this week but because i didn't just screenshot all over the place but almost every time i looked whenever i was entering into new chunks the biome would not only be different in a very long straight line, but it would be wildly different. We're talking about going from like a snowy cap mountain to a badlands, you know, in a block. Uh, and the terrain would be smooth. So like the physical topography would be fine, but the biome would be a poker straight line for sometimes regions, yeah. 32, 64 blocks in a row, chunks mm-hmm. in a row, not blocks, chunks in a row. So hundreds of blocks. And it, it's, it would also be like, it would be okay if it was like going from a forest to a, a a plains biome. It would be very stark, but you could plant some trees and maybe blend it in a little bit. Um, but when it goes from a mountain or a taiga straight into a desert or a or a badlands with a straight line, it really does kind of smack you in the face. Yeah, and I understand that like there are some badlands in the real world, like Bryce Canyon, that get snow because they're high enough up in altitude that they get snow in the wintertime. I get that. Um, but just going from a Minecraft experience, it was it was pretty harsh. And so um, I found that I've not been trimming chunks, which is usually the the kind of like the general knowledge is like, look, before an update, if you want the new content to be closer to you, just don't go exploring for thousands and thousands of blocks before you update because you're just going to end up pushing that content farther away. And what I've found that I've been doing is just that. Uh, what I've been doing, instead of trimming chunks per se, I've been flying around on the Citadel, loading in entire biomes sure. until I've got the whole thing. Yeah. So I found the natural edge. You actually touched on it in your response to the email. You know, like I've I found this really big ice biome that's next to my medieval town. And I'm trying to load it all in so that I can then trim around the edge of it. Now, is there going to be a visible border? Probably. Might there be a strip of green something before it goes into a desert? Could be. But at least there's not going to be a straight line down the middle of my ice spikes biome and a desert immediately thereafter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. just based on the screenshots you've shared with us here, it is quite noticeable and there are, the thing is there are several factors at work with the new ter- terrain generation i think the seamless that they're talking about is much more about terrain shape than it is about biomes because the biomes are all dictated by a heat map now and the heat map from the old terrain generation that your seed provides to that same seed in 1.18 terrain generation is going to be completely different and so these biome clashes show up which are 
unfortunately kind of inevitable in some cases, but I think you're entirely justified in wanting to expand outside of the area that you've got because, as you say, there's a snowy tiger right next to a Badlands biome. That feels like the most unnatural combination both before and after this new terrain. Like, the new terrain heat maps basically prevent that from happening. Even going so far as ocean biomes now, you don't get a frozen ocean next to a Badlands anymore because the game tries its best not to have stuff like that happen. And I think the only way around that is to do what you're doing, to take an additive approach to editing your world instead of a subtractive one, <laughs> and mm -hmm. to, to yep. go around loading in chunks of the world that you don't want to change, especially just judging by the, the screenshot you provided, especially when it's within render distance of something that you're currently building. So if you can look around from your medieval town and look over and you can see a Badlands from there, it's going to break your immersion with that part of the world. And that's the kind of thing that you clearly want to avoid. And I have had good luck when looking at new terrain generating on the other side of an ocean. So uh, a lot of the trimming, after I expand my, my chunks that have been loaded, a lot of the trimming have been finding the edge of an ocean biome where you can clearly see on something like MCA Selector where it goes from a warm ocean to a cool ocean or whatever. You can see the color change from blue to like turquoise or whatever. And that to me has been where I've been drawing the lines because I thought like, well, if I get a weird biome border, it's going to be a lot less noticeable in the middle of an ocean mm -hmm. than it will be along the middle of, uh, of land. And anytime that I have had to cut things off on land, I've tried to find those spots where the peninsula is really short. So I'm going like six, eight chunks across landmass to, to divide it. And hopefully it's just not going to be noticeable. But you're right. What I'm doing is making sure I'm well out of sight of render distance. The frustrating part for me on this continent is that it has been set up as a zone long term for the server. So it's not just the render distance of West Hill, my medieval town. Somebody else might want to come in and build a fairy village. Somebody else might want to come in and build, you know, wizard stuff or, or orc towers or something. And they're going to want to be able to do that in a, in a place where they've got, um, the views that they want. And if they want to go farther afield, now they can, and they'll be into a zone where uh, if they're deep enough, then they'll have 118 stuff in render distance. Uh, we just haven't decided at what scale we want this kind of stuff to be, because it would be kind of nice to have it all connected by roads, but that, that ends up being like, you know, how far do you want to walk? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, outs outside of that, I like, I really haven't had any experience playing 118 because I've been mostly just flying around and rendering in chunks and, and whatnot uh, in 117. So I haven't taken the plunge as of yet. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, one thing that I, I have not done, because of course I don't want to spoil anything for myself, is um, even though I have uh, a great concern for the surface, when I do load into 118, underneath all of this is going to be new stuff. So if I'm looking for new blocks, new content, new adventures underground, I won't have to travel thousands of blocks. I could just dig down, you know, I can make a dwarven, you know, settlement somewhere nearby and it can end up being spectacular. There could be a giant cheese cave underneath some of my existing chunks. I just don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the exciting part of it. And I think that's what some of our correspondence this week has been about is, you know, I, now mm -hmm. if I'm loading up my world, I can just dig down and there's there's new stuff under there, which is, is a very exciting thing. Um, so for me, starting a new world, and this kind of ties into Ace2000's email, I 
didn't get the spawn I was hoping for, which is an odd thing. Uh, I was fairly determined, as I've said, to start a, a new world with a random seed, and my world spawn was fine, but it was a little bland, <laughs> which I hate to say, considering that the terrain has been, you know, touted as having all of these fantastic new mountains and so forth, and that's what we've all been focusing on, we haven't necessarily given as much time to discussing how the rest of the world is still the same, or, or at least still has the same kind of vibe, where there are there are areas of the world that aren't epic, massive mountains. And so it took me a little time to find some of that stuff as I was exploring. Uh, my spawn area was on a beach with lots of forests and rolling hills around, not the kind of picturesque ideal of 1.18. There's no, you know, 250 block tall mountains within a little you know, radius around me, but at least it wasn't a Badlands. <laughs> and and I know a lot of people have been writing in saying they wanted Badlands to, to start out with or Badlands to build in, but I generated a couple of seeds in the pre-releases that dropped me in a Badlands and I thought, well, how would I start this if it was the start of a tutorial series? Um, but thankfully, with plenty of wood around, it's a nice, easy start. And now I'm figuring out what I wanted to do for a starter house on the border of a birch forest. So, um... I'm building on the hills where I can, and I think that's usually a good approach to the problem of the terrain around here is all too big, because a little house on a hilltop has this kind of picture postcard thing going on where it's going to look nice, it's a good kind of beacon for you to return to because you can see it above the tree line a lot of the time, and I think building on hilltops makes for a, a good start because then you don't have a giant hill behind it to compare it to. And I think that's that's another cool thing. Even if you've got massive mountains, you're still going to be given a decent amount of range of height on the top of there to build on top of. So if you think this mountain looks really enormous, then you build a castle on top of that and you think, oh wow, epic castle, because it's up so high. And I think that's a good place to start if you're worried about getting overwhelmed by the size of the terrain. Um, overall though, as you go through a 1.18 world, your ability to interact with the terrain is going to increase. You get better tools, you get beacons, you can instamine stuff, you'll gather a lot more resources, and then you'll start making an impact. And the thing to remember, of course, is it's a marathon, not a sprint. As Joel has attested to with, you know, working on this medieval town for the last little while, it's all about taking everything one step at a time and the creative process is slow and steady but at the end of that you end up with something that looks incredibly impressive so honestly to answer ace's email i think if you're a little overwhelmed due to the size of the terrain build on the hilltops and start small and then once you've spent a bit more time in your world and you have a bit more confidence with what you're going to do with the terrain around you then it's worth spending the time in that environment until you can build something that feels like it matches up yeah, I think my experience in the snapshots exploring the new terrain, I definitely had that kind of feeling of, I don't know if overwhelmed was it. I might even identify more with Rock Giant, just like trying to figure out where to stop. <laughs> you know, like it just, you always want to see what's on the other side of the next hill. And uh, especially when everything is so new and fresh and fun. And and that's where I would, um, I would more identify with, I think. But I, I think it's solid advice to just like, to pace yourself and... Um, we had an email, I don't remember who it was from, but it was it was a week or two ago where they were basically setting off too quickly. Uh, it might have been 
yeah, they were setting off too quickly and they were dying a lot and they were getting frustrated and rage quitting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and, I th- and I think patience is going to pay off both from a creative standpoint, but also from just like a survival standpoint, especially if you're on a hardcore server. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you really want to take your time with this kind of stuff and stop and smell the roses for the lack of a better way to say it. Uh, you know, I think that there are, um, there are things that come to me over spending the last year working in West Hill that I would not have thought of if I tried to build it all in a month. Mm -hmm. And I do this thing where I'll build something or I'll build a rough idea of something like placement, height, rough frame, plain roof, whatever. And I'll leave it for a couple of weeks before I even come back to it. But what I've been doing is I've been walking by it constantly in, in the build and it'll either rub me the wrong way and be like, I really don't like this. I need to redo it. Or I'll say like, yeah, it's fine where it is, but it needs, it needs some, some love to kind of like fix it up a little bit. And, and I discovered this new technique because I was watching another YouTuber or I was doing my own thing on another build and figured out, oh, here's a really cool way to do a dormer on a roof. I know I'm going to take that dormer design and put it back on that house that I built, you know, two weeks ago. And I think that that can be applied to Caves and Cliffs Part 2, where, you know, get yourself set up, get yourself into a point where, you know, you've got something comfortable, build that house on a hilltop, you know, up high somewhere where you can see every time you leave your front door, you're going to be looking out over this beautiful landscape. And after a while, you're just like, something is going to catch your eye. Like, I really like the look of that tree over there and that cliff or like that mountain in the background is just begging for something on it. I just don't know what yet. And just give yourself some time to think about it naturally. Uh, I think that's important too. Not to mention, you know, like, and I, I know I bring this up a lot, but like playing other games outside of Minecraft um, that have this kind of terrain or ha- have this kind of, you know, stuff. It, it was always a lot of work before to create those mountain ranges on your own. But now all you have to do is find them or keep an eye out for them. And I think that, you know, other experiences outside of the game, other experiences outside of um, Minecraft in another video game or other, other entertainment, you know, um, might also inspire and give you ideas and what what to what to do and and where to do it. Yeah, I think I think just based on the early impressions of what we knew mountains were going to be like, I I remember saying there's a lot of people are going to start recreating builds from Skyrim. <laughs> there's just going to be like mountainside towns and epic palaces and stuff like that built onto the mountaintops, and it, it makes perfect sense to do stuff like that if you if you find yourself in terrain that's like that, draw in inspiration from elsewhere especially if there are other video games that have done a similar thing and the terrain is great for that because it feels fresh and new everywhere i turn in this new 1.18 world and in a weird way it's both more natural feeling and more alien at the same time like the the minecrafty feel of like some of it is sort of glitchy looking the shattered terrain that looks very unnatural is still there and that's sort of one of those things that has been a um like a a trademark of minecraft's for a while being such a blocky game and all but i think the the terrain shape around my spawn on the single player world is very naturalistic and so that feels quite homelike and welcoming a lot of the time it's not throwing me in at the deep end um but it's still giving me a lot of cool stuff that i can do 
Um, and I think access to materials is something we've talked about previously, but the fact that I can now walk down into a cave, find a bunch of dripstone or find a, a bunch of moss in a lush cave, and then suddenly I've got a bunch more stuff that I can use for roof designs and things. Like the, the abundance of copper now makes copper a little bit more viable as a roof material, which is how I think Mojang initially intended it when they announced it for, for the Caves and Cliffs update. So there's a lot of the new terrain that's kind of informing my decisions when it comes to uh, to, to what I want to build. Um, looking around at some of the stuff in the hardcore world, because I've been traveling a lot more in that world so far, Sparse Jungle, which is formerly Jungle Edge, which was one of the rarer biomes in Minecraft, is much more common than it was before. And it makes a really attractive biome because it's the grass color from jungle, but without all of the like all of the trees and stuff that you need to clear out before you can build anything there. Um, right. So I, I can see a lot of people settling in sparse jungle because they they genuinely do look really cool, and I. I see them quite frequently on the lead up to jungles or warmer biomes as a transition between that and a plains or a forest or something like that. It starts to creep in before the main thick jungle takes over. So I think those are those are going to be worth looking out for if you're struggling for, you know, what kind of biome to build in, give give the jungle edge a try. I've also found as we discussed in the pre-releases, river generation, uh, river generation being so wide and and longer rivers, more connected rivers, it's been so good exploring that way. You don't burn through all of the hunger that you're going to do, you know, jumping up the side of a mountain because that landscape is just in your way. And I went down river this week to find a dark oak forest and a lush cave and a bunch of stuff that I had hoped to find in the early days of this series. So I think having rivers to navigate around by is honestly something that's going to take players by surprise about this update because we're used to rivers not being all that navigable before or at least having to like break your boat you know you you get out you walk a couple of blocks you put it back down again because the river dwindles away to nothing halfway through i think now it's going to be a lot easier to get around that way and i definitely recommend navigating that way in a new world have you found that the rare biomes in general are more common it depends on your definition of the rare biomes like i haven't i haven't stumbled into too many things like mushroom islands and things yet and i think those are remaining as rare as they were before but i think the priority of some of them has changed around because they made for good transitions in the heat map between more kind of hot biomes like jungles and so forth and then the more temperate foresty kind of woodland biomes so i think some stuff has been increased in its commonality when it was convenient for world generation now and i think there were mm -hmm. some some notes from henrik to that effect is you know this we, we've started using these a bit differently and they were asking how important they were to players and how important it was that they remain rare and in the case of jungle edge it's like a really useful biome for that transition so it makes sense um i think you know, finding stuff like Badlands biomes was kind of difficult before, but now every time you get a mountain that goes into a warm enough area, you start to get some terracotta, even if it's just like a a, a hilly mesa biome that's got kind of uh, the, the oak wood generation on the top of it. You don't necessarily get Badlands hoodoos everywhere, but you do find that that stuff is a little bit more accessible, at least in my experience. And this depends vastly on people's world seeds, so it's going to vary. But I, I do think some of that stuff is a little bit more 
common now, or at least a, a little bit easier to spot because of the the way the terrain generates. Speaking of Badlands biomes, uh, that's something that I'm looking forward to finding. Uh, our solution, which I haven't pitched yet to everybody on the server, is probably going to be akin to the fact that we've already instated things like fast travel for moving from spawn in Dar Dartmouth Meadows to the medieval fantasy area or the modern city. Uh, because we now have to travel farther afield to generate new um, new 118 terrain, one idea I had was to designate like a 118 area where if you want to go where there won't be any um, like borders for tons and tons and tons of space, um, we might try and, and create a zone, you know, 20,000 blocks in both directions away from spawn, just some random, you know, easy number to remember. So people are not, you know, overwhelmed with coordinates that are like six <laughs> numbers long. Um, but one of the things I want to look for because of the way that uh, the new terrain changes and because of how cool eroded badlands are, if I can find uh, an area that has a large eroded badlands that is not only cool in its own right but also in 118 terrain i'd love to explore and build in a place like that as something completely different than anything that i've done on the server in a long time and uh, i think that could be really really fun and i feel like one of the reasons why um we're seeing or they or they've included eroded badlands or at least badlands in general occurring more often I think is because they look so cool with the new terrain generation um, because of the way that the terracotta looks. And it, it reminds me of the stuff that we saw in Minecraft dungeons, you know, exploring those, those environments and going like, Oh wow, this looks really cool. I wish it was just a little bit more like this in Minecraft sometimes. And mm -hmm. uh, it's nice that we're getting it. And um, you know, it's like, I want to make sure that I'm not all doom and gloom about 118. Uh, there are going to be some ways, I think, on the server that we can, you know, find a way to to enjoy it and and get out there. Especially now that we have the new uh, lighting changes, uh, which I wanted to ask you about, because uh, I've wanted to do a sci-fi build for a long time, and one of the biomes that was at the top of my list was always um, the Mushroom Islands because I wouldn't have to worry about spawning so much. Mm -hmm. But now. I mean, kind of the sky's the limit. Do you want to do Hoth? Find a big ice spikes biome, you know, or a big snowy biome. Do you want to do something more like Tatooine? Find a nice Badlands or a desert. And and you can be just as creative without having to worry as much about things like spawning. So in terms of the new world light levels and spawning levels, have you had a lot of experience with that? Like, how does that feel as a player? It hasn't, it doesn't feel like it's changed much, honestly, because... It's not the kind of thing I've been going to on such a technical level yet. Most of the time, the lighting I'm putting down is functional for me so I can see. And the mob spawning thing is a secondary consideration. You know, I'm still on the stage where I'm building houses that can be lit by one torch because they're relatively small. And I haven't got onto larger builds in stuff like the hardcore world where I've been doing more caving stuff. It's been much more about lighting my way through the cave so I figured out which way I was going and so I could see where there were some materials around me than it was about spawn-proofing that entire area. And you're still going to get mob spawns in the darker areas of a cave like that because there will still be ledges you haven't lit up properly and, you know, stuff that's outside of the radius of a torch. So most of the time, 
it's not really affected me all that much. When I get into the stage where I'm building with detail and I want some atmosphere in my builds and I can put down a couple of candles or some sea pickles in a puddle somewhere and that's going to provide enough light for something, I feel like I'll have a much better appreciation for it. The same goes for using light sources like soul torches and soul lanterns, which I never used because they didn't put up as much light as the other ones did. And, you know, having a bit more flexibility with that is going to be immensely valuable, but I'm just not there yet. You know, I've, I've not reached the point where that's super necessary. I have reached the point where I'm running out of coal a lot <laughs> because of the amount of torches I need to go through some of those caves, but uh, that's a matter of preparation. And I honestly think to that extent, it's going to be worth carrying around entire coal blocks in your inventory so that you can break off a little bit every now and again to make some more torches and still save on inventory space. That's that's my, my one tip so far, even though we've said this in previous weeks, you can never have enough coal in this update because there's so much, so much cave to light up. Um, yeah, I found caving in general actually has its ups and downs. Um, ha. Mo most caves, <laughs> most caves either, they end up dead ending within the first 50 blocks or so, or they become a cave system that you can explore for hours. There's very little middle ground, because the larger a cave gets, obviously, the more chance it has of intersecting with other cave carvers, and then you're off to the races. Um, anytime it opens out into one of those big caverns is just spectacular. Like, that, that and the fact that you get those basins you were talking about with the Super Mario pillars, where, like, cheese cave generation interacts with the surface and you get those naturally formed quarries with giant pillars of stone. That and the caverns, never gonna get old for me. Like, it's gonna just look spectacular every time you wander into one of those. And, and you know, then you realize you have to light it all up. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the problem. Um, but overall, I found... Like, the, the one thing that I don't like about the new cave generation is those caves which are like a kind of diagonal crack in the surface. Um, the ones where it kind of goes down a at a diagonal, maybe a slight curve, and you have maybe two or three blocks of headroom the whole way down. You're going along a block and then you drop and then you go along a block and then you drop instead of just being able to walk down into it casually. They're too claustrophobic, there's not enough headroom, they're a pain to light up, and I'm quite glad that I haven't taken advantage of any of those yet, because frankly I don't think they're going to be worth my time a lot of the time, they don't lead down to very much very often. Um, but the rest of the stuff, like the, the, the cave generation has been quite good, and I find that the distribution of lush and dripstone caves feels just right to me at this point. Oh, good. Like, it, it might take a while to find one if you're actively looking for it in the same way that, you know, whenever you're looking for a jungle biome, it never seems to come up, you know? Um, but if you just run into them when you aren't expecting it, they're not so frequent that they become tiresome, but you still bump into them. I, I found one without going out intentionally looking for it. I didn't see any signposted azalea trees, just popped down into a cave, and there was a bit of moss and, you know, azalea and stuff growing at the bottom of it. So I think it's, you know, it, it, it's it's working on a level that's going to appease a lot of people. The caves feel like they have stuff going on without feeling like that stuff is going on all over the place. And so overall, I think they've they've struck a really good balance with terrain generation. Something that I remember from finding those caves and just flying around looking for screenshots and different things for the, the podcast, the the feeling of flying into or not flying into, but like walking into a large um, lush cave because it's got the glowberries to help light it up mm -hmm. and allow you to see farther into it was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, and I also agree that I, whenever I did find those weird kind of diagonal carvers, I think they were called, um, they didn't feel good. I didn't like exploring them. They weren't fun. Um, they felt dangerous usually, but they also just didn't give enough of a visual kind of, oh, this is cool for the effort that it would take to explore them. Uh, have you run into many of those like underwater or along the coastlines? I know that there was a lot of like aquifers and aqua carvers that we were seeing early on. Uh, and um, I I don't, I haven't heard many things talk, like I haven't heard them mentioned in a while. Yeah, I think they put out a, an update in one of the pre-releases that rolled back the amount of those flooded caves that you get near coastlines or at least made, mm, made them mm. only really generate occasionally along those coastlines so they, they've not been a huge problem for me there have been very few occasions on which i've gone to look for a cave got excited about what looked like a cave entrance and it turned out to be a pit full of water like that that doesn't happen as frequently as it did in some of the the snapshots and I remember especially there was a bedrock update that basically every cave was flooded because they hadn't fixed aquifers yet. Um, it's nothing like that. No, the, the caving opportunities are real, they are everywhere, and I find that maybe one in every ten of those is flooded, but it's not nearly enough to be annoying. Uh, it's enough to give you options because cave diving can be you know, a bit more of a a, a a fancy way of finding iron and stuff if you if you know how to survive, if you've got water breathing potions or if you play Java Edition and you've got a handful of doors in your inventory. Um, there, there are potentially ways of getting that stuff that's not exposed to air and you might find more resources that way. So potentially worth it. Um, but I find it's not a huge problem. And overall, I'm finding that the, the world definitely feels bigger. To come back to the subject of this email, the world feels larger in general the biomes definitely feel like they go on for longer and you know it's also because we have to climb mountains on a somewhat regular basis or at least some some decent sized hills um so it, it does feel like it takes a little bit longer to get around which is why i honestly recommend river navigation because you your speed your pace isn't interrupted at that stage you're not kind of sacrificing horizontal travel for vertical travel at that point so it, it really feels like you get around better and if you're looking for a specific biome and you're doing that on foot it definitely takes a while to get where you're going i'm also expecting terrain to behave in ways that it doesn't anymore whether that's consciously or subconsciously i'm tr i'm finding that as i explore i'm looking for terrain to kind of travel from one biome to another in in ways that it doesn't as much i i used to do this thing where anytime i found a desert i would look around the edges for it uh for, for a, a jungle or a mesa because those biomes were more often than not connected and that should still be the case with the the heat map but then the jungle isn't always what i expect sometimes it's a jungle edge and sometimes the mesa generation leads more into hilly terrain and so the separation of terrain shape and biomes is actually proving very interesting to me because suddenly if i find a swamp it's not all lowlands anymore like there's swamp hills and things that i just wasn't going to expect in previous generation so i, th I think exploring has been a really exciting thing to do at this point and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of it once i get the survival guide world going because there's got to be some biomes out there that are just going to blow me away that i haven't found anywhere near my spawn point in my exploration of mods for a modded playthrough i was focusing on tech and biome stuff because i wanted something to feel different if i was going to change the way that i was going to play the game or, or switch to a single player world and one of the things I noticed when I would be walking around in some of these test seeds that I was looking at 
was the experience of walking through much larger biomes that had a lot more verticality to them. And they weren't anything drastic. It would be like, you know, big pine forests or, uh, you know, um, fall leaf colors in a, in a, uh, birch forest, but there would be a lot of topography to go up and down. And I always found that made it feel very different. And now that's that experience is in the vanilla game. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it feels so, I don't want to say alien, but because it feels so new and so, so different is, is that, that rolling hill feature where they're not like super realistic, but they're realistic enough where it starts to, uh, impede your, your, um, horizontal vision. Like you have to go up over the hill before you can see what's on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And those reveals I think are exciting for players to explore and, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm hoping this week to put in the the time to, to it takes to finish up what I'm doing with the chunk trimming and the exploring and getting all that sorted so that our 117 areas are as seamless as they possibly can be. But then going out and exploring some new stuff as well. One last reassurance I will give before we wrap up the show here: it is not difficult to find iron. Um, I, I was nice. I was able to find the first cave I went down into, and I, I dug down a little bit, found myself a, a fairly short cave system that had enough iron in it to get me full iron tools and iron armor and a little bit left over. So nice. uh, while I think a lot of people were concerned that you know you're not going to find iron in every cave entrance that you stumble upon anymore, but it it takes a little bit of work, but it's not going to put you in enough danger that you know you're you're going to have to go into deep slate levels to find iron. That's where the majority of iron is, but there is plenty of it to go around believe me so uh just in case anyone was still hanging on to that misconception from the snapshot days iron is still out there folks and good luck finding it uh for now though that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks to join our community, where pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. It also gets us closer to our next goal of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our listeners. We're currently at 304 patrons, which is down 14 from last week. I expect a few people having to cut back over the holidays. That's understandable, but there is always room for more and special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale paulbo baggins and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way however just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and say you should listen to the spawn chunks and you can do that on itunes spotify google podcasts and even youtube really wherever you can find a podcast and seeing as we're going into the holidays and new devices are bound to be finding uh, their way under the tree uh, if you wouldn't mind going to the itunes store and leaving the spawn chunks a rating maybe even a review it does a great deal to help us find new listeners that are just on the, the stores looking for a new podcast to listen to. You can email the Spawn Chunks at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. The patron-only RSS feed is linked on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where the Minecraft Survival Guide has begun its new life in Season 2. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, currently from the Don't Die December server, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, over at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, Brockett and I talked about Cowboy Bebop on Netflix, the live-action adaptation of the original anime. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am playing Minecraft Satisfactory. And thanks to the generous support of uh, people in November, we're going to be doing a Lego Let's Chat in the coming weeks live on Twitch. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but then again, so is the last one.